0: Hi, I'm Bobby Crotty, I have the privilege of leading Summit, and today marks our first remote Summit ever. You've got a treat ahead because Nathan Wagnon is going to bring us a great message on uh, the letter to Thyatira. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to meet like this until Dallas County lifts its ban on meetings and Watermark has reopened its campuses. So guys, it may be a while, but um, this is our effort to bring you on, on a timely basis the messages, the important messages in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. You have a real treat ahead to listen to Nathan, so stay tuned and keep watching. Well, good morning, guys. My name is Nathan, and I have the privilege of serving on the equipping team here at Watermark. And I'm excited to join with you today in Summit on Thursday morning, except it's not Thursday morning. <laughs> so I don't know what day it is where you are, or what time it is. It doesn't really matter, except to uh, just reiterate what Bobby said in the intro to this, and that is uh, we're, we're bringing Summit to you in in your living room, in your office, and wherever you are. So this is a a unique thing for us to try, but we're going to give it our best shot. And I know that you guys so far have been in the book of Revelation uh, covering the first three of the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. And today we're going to cover the fourth church, which is the church at Thyatira. And so, but before we get to that, if you've heard me teach before, then you know that before we ever open the actual text, there's a lot of work to do if when we open the actual text, we're actually going to interpret it properly. And so the first thing I would say is Revelation is a really interesting and unique book. It falls into the literary genre of what uh, biblical theologians call apocalyptic literature. So some of y'all are like, what in the world is apocalyptic literature? Well, I'm glad you asked. Apocalyptic literature is from the Greek word apocalypsis, which literally means to reveal. And so uh, a you know you're in apocalyptic literature when um, you're reading along and all of a sudden you begin to uh, see a lot more going on than you ordinarily see at once. So apocalyptic literature is, is uh, marked by reading and then all of a sudden you're seeing like angels or you're seeing um, references to things that are unseen and so a good way to think about it is reading along and then all of a sudden like the heavens part and you're not just seeing the stuff on the page you're also seeing stuff like in the heavens it's kind of a blending of the heavens and the earth or the seen realm and the unseen realm where all of it becomes visible at once and so what it does is it allows us, it opens a window for us into a reality that we ordinarily just don't see. And John uses this uh literary genre to uh communicate the apocalypse. One, because that was what was shown to him, but then two, he's he is writing to these seven churches because they are under a pretty significant amount of pressure. And some of it manifests itself into what we would consider persecution, where they are literally being uh, beaten, imprisoned, but a lot of it, and a lot of what we're going to talk about today, a lot of it is not necessarily uh, imprisonment or martyrdom. A lot of it is social, economic, cultural, even religious pressure that's put on this church to conform to uh, what was known at the time as the imperial cult which was worship of all of the different Roman deities and then also worship of Caesar as the Lord. And that's what John is communicating against. So if you're in Thyatira right now and John is writing to you, then what you're experiencing as a Christian is you're experiencing a lot of pressure to conform. You're experiencing a lot of uh, pressure to say, oh, it's okay for me to call Caesar Lord and also call Jesus Lord. So you're getting like this pressure to blend these things, kind of a syncretism uh, type view of worship of God. And uh, John is writing the letters to the churches to show them, again, to kind of open the veil, to pull, peel the heavens back, to show them, no, actually what's going on is um, there is pressure not to just conform so that you can have a better life, but the pressure is actually to join the side of the Satan, the beast. Um, to go away from God in the spirit of the Antichrist, and so the apocalyptic literature—that the entire genre—is written primarily to encourage people to, hey, persevere. You you are on the right side. It's all, even though it's hard now, in the end, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and so that's what uh, John is doing with these uh, these seven letters to these seven churches, and then obviously through the rest of the book. He's showing on more of a cosmic scale. Oh, and by the way, not only are you going to be okay in Thyatira, but also like Jesus is going to destroy all of the enemies in the entire cosmos and is going to, uh, the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he's going to reign forever and ever, right? And that's that, that's that heaven peeling back, and now we can see, that what's actually going on. And now we can know, hey, we can persevere because we're headed in the right direction. Um, so um, let's, let's look at the, and again, anytime you're coming to the text, you're not just looking at, all right, we've got the uh, genre of literature we're in. Now we need to kind of set the stage. So if we're setting the stage, the first question that I always ask anyway, when I come to a text is, when is this happening? Um, It's, it's, it's easy for us to think about things um, in our minds as like super compressed, like, like Jesus lived and died and resurrected and Paul did his ministry and revelation was written like all on the same day. You know, a lot of times that's the way we think about it. When in reality, all of this stuff is spaced out just like you and I, I mean, we're all, uh, we're all confined to the same dimension of time. And so we, we live, we breathe, we eat, we sleep. The the days go on, the months go on, the years go on, the seasons pass. And so where we are right now in the letter to Thyatira is uh, the uh, disciple John, who was a follower of Jesus, literal eyewitness to Jesus, is exiled on the island of Patmos. You guys have probably already covered that. Domitian is the the emperor in Rome, and it's probably in the mid-90s of the first century. Now, the Christian community in Thyatira was planted about 40 years earlier during Paul's missionary work, um, specifically his second missionary journey, where he meets up with a woman named Lydia in Philippi. And Lydia, who is a textile worker, basically uh, traffics and is a merchant in cloth, um, is from Thyatira. And so we have kind of this push of Christianity into Asia Minor um, and when that happens, then probably in the mid fifties of the first century, the church at Thyatira is established. So we've got the where we've, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the we have the when and that is we're in the mid nineties now, but the church that is being written to is about 40 years old being established in the mid fifties of the first century. But we also have the where. So Thyatira is in Asia minor, which is modern day Turkey, it was probably established as a military garrison about 300 years prior to this, but then became a pretty significant place of trade and wealth and business in Asia Minor. And so it's it's in the Roman province of Lydia, and <clears throat> uh, it was known for all of its trade. There were a lot of different trade guilds that were in Thyatira, and those guilds uh, were textiles, potters, tanners, bakers, and then also one that's significant for us this morning, there was also a significant bronze Smith trade that was happening in Thyatira. So think, don't think like these guys are uh, kind of this this rural area where everybody's, uh, the, the standard of living is lower and stuff like that. Think like more of urban center, lots of business, lots of money, lots of trade, lots of material prosperity. That's Thyatira. And along with that, comes a lot of the stuff that comes along with the trade guilds, which is uh, pressure to conform so that your business goes well. Um, So that is uh, the where. There's one more point about the where, and that is uh, each of these trade guilds and each of these kind of urban centers had a patron deity that would oversee and kind of keep uh, the community safe and prosperous. And The one that was in Thyatira was Apollo Tyrimnaeus, who was a son of Zeus. So you have a deity that's in Thyatira who's overseeing these people, and he literally is called a son of God. So you have worship of uh, Apollo there, and then you also have the goddess Roma, and of the goddess Roma you have Caesar, who are these uh, pagan deities that are deeply entrenched, not just in the religious life, Thyatira but in every aspect of life. There's a map here real quick that I'll show you. Um, You can see it on your screen. You can see there Ephesus is right on the the coast of the Aegean Sea and Ephesus served as kind of like a, a a major port city out of which all of these other cities in Asia Minor would have kind of gotten their stuff from. Which is why I think the very first letter in revelation to the seven churches is to Ephesus. But you can see Ephesus, Sardis, Smyrna, and then just heading up to the north, about 50 miles in, inland from the Aegean coast is Thyatira, um, in between Philadelphia, Pergamon, uh, Sardis. Okay, so we've not, we don't just have the, uh, the when and the where, we also have the who. And the who is this Christian community in Thyatira? So again, I'm trying to the best I can to just paint a picture and set a stage for you, so that you can see and actually like put yourself there. Hey, um, what if you're somebody who is a member of this early Christian community that's only been around for about 40 years, um, and is deeply embedded in these uh, in the business of Thyatira, in the social life of Thyatira, in the cultural kind of Malu of Thyatira, all of that stuff. You're in the middle of all of that, and you've only been around for about 40 years. So um, again, we're thinking like, well, that's a long time. That's like, I mean, I'm 41. So, But at the same time, um, a lot has happened. So um, it's while it has been established, it's also a relatively, the entire Christian movement among the Gentiles is still relatively new. So we've got the where and the when and the who, but now, and this is the critical spot before we jump into the text, we need to establish the what. The what is that for the Christian community, if you failed to participate in these trade guilds, which included worship of the Roman deities, it included, um, which a lot of times worship to the Roman deities included a lot of immorality, then if you failed to participate in those, then your business, executing your business, having a prosperous business, just got exponentially more difficult. So inclusion in the guilds almost ensured that your business would at least be somewhat profitable. If you, if you by your own kind of con- uh, conscious objection, uh, withheld yourself from these guilds, you were putting yourself into an economic and into a social and into a cultural dangerous, culturally dangerous position. And so uh, it, there was a lot of pressure. I mean, when it, it's, it's one thing to be like, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's another thing to be like, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. And also that might mean that I, that I may not be able to provide for my family and put food on the table, or, or we're going to be social outcasts, or we're going to be culturally ostracized. It becomes different when you start to feel that kind of pressure, even if you don't go to jail, even if you're not martyred. That's still a lot of pressure. And frankly, it's a lot of pressure that a lot of people were yielding to, which is why there is this letter to the church in Thyatira. I mentioned already, but the guild meetings typically included for sure homage not only to the patron deity, but I was talking to a buddy of mine who is a revelation expert um, this morning. And uh, he his uh, his description of Thyatira was he literally he said, hey, man, Thyatira was just kind of raunchy, you know, and I thought that was a good kind of strong word to describe what was going on there. There was a lot of sexual immorality. There was a lot of stuff that when everybody else is doing it, it becomes easier to go, you know what? Maybe this isn't so bad. Um, Maybe I can flex a little bit on this. And that's exactly the kind of environment that was going on. Um, So the interesting thing, too, is not only was the Christian community facing that external pressure, there was also, and we'll see this from three different sides, there was also a lot of internal pressure to uh, conform to society and to these different kind of uh, worship norms. The first source of it were, were the Jews. There was a Jewish community in Thyatira who basically, because uh, the Romans viewed the Jews as an ancient people with an ancient religion, then the Romans were like, you know what? You guys are old enough. Y'all can, y'all can do what you want. You can uh, continue to worship your God. You don't have to participate in worship to the Roman gods. And it's okay. You can still be a part of the trade guild, but you don't have to do all the immoral stuff. And so the Jews had a privileged position in that regard. And also a lot of the people who were converting to Christianity early on were Jews. So you have Christians who are like, you know what? I might just kind of flex on this whole um, uh, Jesus, faith in Jesus by grace through faith alone. And I'll just kind of keep being Jewish and continue to uh, practice the works of the law and also uh, practice Christianity. And so you had what Paul calls the Judaizers or the people who blended Christianity and Judaism. So that's one source of pressure is yeah, keep worshiping Jesus, but also like keep being Jewish. And, uh, Paul of course was like, no, that's not the way this works. So the second source of pressure for, for people in the church were from the Gentiles who very much, uh, in order, like we've already mentioned, we're already saying, um, no, you, uh, in order to be a part of this, uh, you know, a part of this town and and to participate in this business, then you have to be, uh, you have to do these things. And there was a lot of pressure for, uh, the Gentiles to be like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to kind of keep being a Gentile. And then there were, there was pressure actually from within the church. And that's what we're going to look at uh, primarily today. Um, there was pressure inside the church in order to, uh, to say, you know what, actually, you can kind of like keep your faith in Jesus and um, continue to f- say that you follow him. But as long as you like don't get too messy in with the other gods, you can kind of hang out in the same room, but just kind of hang out on the side. Like, don't, don't fully participate. Or sometimes it was viewed as uh, you can participate, but it's just uh, because God's grace is so great, then it'll cover you. There, there are same things like that um, within the church. And of course, Jesus is going, hang on, time out. You know, no, that's not the way that this works. Okay, so we've set the stage. Hopefully now, you know, we spent, gosh, what, about 15 minutes just setting the stage for you. Uh, to look at not only what is apocalyptic literature, kind of that blending of the seen and the unseen realm, so that you can kind of get this full picture of what's actually going on. But there's also, uh, we've, we've set the stage on where we are, and that is in the mid-90s, but the church has been around for about 40 years. Um, the who, and that is the, uh, the, that Christian community in Thyatira. We've got the what, which I just covered, which is all this different pressure um, and now we are going to look at, okay, well then, uh, why was uh, this written specifically to Thyatira? So, so grab your text. Now we're ready to open the Bible, okay? <laughs> so grab your text <clears throat> to Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, all right? That's important, <laughs> so like, note that whose eyes are like blazing fire, right? So you're all, we're already seeing that apocalyptic marker where people don't normally just walk around with their eyes blazing on fire. So you're seeing a fuller description of what's normally unseen, but it's, it's, he's giving us a vision for what that is so that we can see beyond what we actually normally experience at one time. We're getting a fuller picture of this. So not only are his eyes like blazing fire, But his feet are like burnished bronze, which again, if you would have been in Thyatira as part of a trade guild where bronze was very much seen as uh, a valuable commodity in the uh, society that you live in, then somebody whose eyes are blazing like fire and whose feet are like a polished or burnished bronze, that catches your attention, right? We're dealing with somebody here who is described as somebody who is powerful who is almost cosmic on some level, actually is cosmic on some level, but also carries with him a, uh, an authority, a, an importance. And the Son of God says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he, who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've got this letter. Actually, the, it's funny because Thyatira was probably the uh, the, the most, uh, even though it was a budding, um, Kind of place for all of this trade. It was also probably the most insignificant of the cities. And we have the longest letter of all the seven letters is to Thyatira. So we're just going to move through the text really quickly and make some major, uh, just kind of make some points about the text and then tie it all together. So it's interesting, and I made a note of this when we first started reading it, that Jesus is, is presented here as the son of God, right? That phrase, son of God, this is the only time it shows up in all of Revelation, which is interesting. Um, and it's interesting given the fact that the patron deity of Thyatira was um, Apollos uh, Tyrimneus, which was, who was considered a son of God. And so you have this presentation of Jesus, not, not some idol or some uh, sun god like Apollo. You have actually the son of God whose eyes are blazing like fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And he's almost it's almost like Jesus is coming down into Thyatira and he's like, hey, I know y'all are like trafficking in some stuff down here, but I'm about to tell you something from the throne, you know, from this like seat of power. And as the son of God, he has the right to say what he's about to say to these people. Again, if you're just going about your daily, you know, routine and oh yeah it's not that big of a deal then that's one thing because you can't see everything else that's going on but when john comes and pulls the curtain back and the son of god comes and stands in front of you all of a sudden you're paying attention you know what i'm saying it's kind of like uh time out everybody listen and that's what you get um in this presentation of jesus as son of god it's interesting too that jesus doesn't come down and automatically just like you guys are terrible you know and Start condemning everybody. He actually speaks very favorable to them, um, and says and alludes to to them that he's like, "Hey, you guys have actually been doing really well. Um, you guys have been steady in all of this. The witness for my name has been steady, and also there's been a lot of growth." So, like, first thing I would say to you is, "Good job. <laughs> like, keep it up." So he commends them um, for their steady growth um in and, and their witness for the gospel among a very pagan and uh kind of idol worshipping society. However, there are um, people within the community that Jesus is like, "Yeah, but <laughs> um I have this against you." And then he makes this really interesting allusion um to Jezebel. Now, <clears throat> Jezebel was a uh was a princess of Sidon, which is just to the north and west of kind of the region of Galilee in Israel. And in the ancient world, uh, Sidon was the kind of principal city of the region of Tyre. And uh, it pushed up into an area where uh, nowadays we know as uh, an area that's called Ugarit. And in that area, they, uh, they were very, I mean, their chief deity, aside from the chief god El, their chief deity that they worshiped was the Baal. And uh, so Jezebel is a Sidonian princess who marries a, an Israeli King named Ahab. And she immediately brings all of her cult worship practices of Baal into Israel. I mean, they were already there on some level, but it's like she comes in and like injects it with steroids and says, Nope, let's go. We're going to worship Baal. And so, uh, you see, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you see in Israel, all this back and forth between Yahweh and Baal, and Yahweh and Baal and the Asherahs, and these uh, different deities from Ugarit. And Yahweh is constantly calling his people to repent and push out the de- the other deities so that they can uh, be faithful to him alone. And it's not because he's like, you know what, I really need you to be faithful to me, like for my sake. no. We, we, God is calling us to faithfulness to himself, not for his sake, but for ours. Like, If Yahweh really is the creator of all things, if he really is the deity who is over all of the cosmos, that in him, as we see in Acts 17, that in him we live and move and have our being, then the greatest thing we can do is be as deeply connected to that source as possible. So anything that's going to pull us away from that source literally results in our death. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, don't tolerate the, a teaching that would pull you away from me. So this false teaching, some, some scholars think that there was actually a female prophetess among the church in Thyatira who was teaching these things. I think it's probably more likely that uh, he uses Jezebel as a, um, a, as a signpost or a marker to say, hey, this is the type of behavior that some of you are propagating in the church. And it's not okay. Um, so the false teaching probably had something to do with like allowing the members of the community to participate in the trade guilds, to participate in the pagan worship of the Roman deities, to participate in the immorality that went along with all of this, all of these trade guilds, and also at the same time remain in good standing in the Christian community. So there's a total like compromise to say, you know what? It's okay to yield a little bit over here because, um, it, it, it's important that we put food on the table. It's important that our businesses prosper. It's important that we maintain our status. Right. And also I think Jesus is probably okay with that. And Jesus is showing up and going, no, I'm not like, not even a little bit. And in order to show you that, uh, that I'm not even a little bit, then I'm going to to pronounce what's going to happen to these people that you all want to be like right now. You all look at the trade guilds right now and you're all going, man, dad, come dude. Look at their, look at their last quarter earnings. Look at that guy's house. Look at that guy's car. Um, Look at that guy's life. Look at his wife. Look at his kids. Look at all the prosperity. Right. And, uh, and he's doing all of that, but he's living a totally like godless life. And, Um, We look at that stuff and we're like, oh man, but if I could just like, we we really do believe on some level that life is found there. And Jesus shows up and he's like, hey guys, actually, um, that is pulling you away into what he calls kind of these deep things of Satan, that there could somehow be a way for you to follow the trade guilds. To follow the the Roman deities, to follow the the material prosperity of Thyatira, and also worship Jesus—that's not a message from—that's uh, not a message that comes out of the grace of God. That's a message that comes out of the pit of the Satan. And uh, and Jesus is showing up to going, hey, don't take the bait. It's not worth it. And he's he's actually peeling. Uh, the curtains between the heavens and the earth back to show us that it's not worth it um, and that he is. So um, there is this warning uh, not to follow the, the false teaching um, that one could participate in the imperial cult and also follow Jesus. And what's interesting too is is that he, in in his rebuke of Jezebel, he does say, Um, man, she, she pulled people into the worship of the Baal. She pulled people into immorality. She pulled people into all these things, but I still gave her time to repent like all the way to the end. I wanted her to repent, but she was unwilling. And he says the same thing to the church in Thyatira. He's like, there are some among you who there's still time to repent, remove yourself from uh, the world that's being controlled by Satan and Uh, Stay faithful to Jesus, because even though staying faithful to Jesus right now might mean that you suffer financially or materially or socially, like in the end, it is totally worth it, (laughs) right? So it's not just a a call to repentance for the sake of, oh, you're not going to be able to have fun or or have any of that awesome stuff over there. It's actually a call back to life and to the life that you were created for. And so there's this call to repentance and a separation from the Roman cult. What's interesting, too, um, before I move on to kind of our last point in the, in the overview, is um, the rest of Revelation is kind of an unpacking again of in, in greater and greater intensity of uh, God turning the heat up on uh, the people of the world to show them, hey, guys, like, no, seriously, you need to repent. You need to repent. And one, actually, it's repeated a couple times in Revelation that after, uh, I believe, after the sealed uh, judgments and after the um, uh, bowl judgments, is it the trumpet judgments? Trumpet. It's the trumpet judgments. Thank you, Bobby. <clears throat> um, that there are there is a statement there that God says, hey, um, even after all of this, people still did not repent of their idolatry of chasing false gods, of chasing the the things that, that are a um, yeah, that are rejected by Jesus, the Messiah. And so you have this buildup and at the very end of revelation in chat, well, not the very end, but in chapter 18 of revelation, you have this whole chapter that is really just a lament. Um, it's an angel that shows up and says, uh, literally just declares like Babylon has fallen. Like, it's gone. All you know, you know all the trade guilds. You know Rome. You know the goddess Roma. You know Caesar. You know Apollo, uh, Tiramnaeus? You know all those deities that you were worshiping and getting all of your life from. It's gone. All of it's gone. And there are three different people groups that mourn over the city, uh, the 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 fall the the fall of Babylon, um, which is in the first century would be compared to Rome. There's three different peoples. It's the kings of the earth, right? The people who had the most to profit from this city. Secondly, the merchants, the people who grew fat from all of the different guilds, regardless of what kind of debauchery or immorality there was. Eh, who cares? Let's just get fat off of her. And lastly, the seafarers, which is just another term for the people who brought uh, uh, goods and traded from all over the world. And their source of sustenance is gone. And they lament, they weep, they stand off from a distance and just go, what are we going to do, right? And ultimately, they are judged. So again, we see this picture where Jesus is going, hey guys, don't take the bait. It's not worth it. If you stay faithful to me, then I'm going to show you what happens. And what happens at the end of Revelation is, Jesus that, that blending of the seen and the unseen, that that kind of uh, uh, that veil in between those two is gone, and you have uh, Jesus who is unseen now. All of a sudden is seen, and literally, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and all of the things that you find life in apart from God are just going to be shown to be totally insufficient, totally insufficient. He encourages them to stay faithful. He says, uh, not only am I going to judge the nations, I'm going to give you the right to judge the nations. And he encourages them to stay faithful um, to his message. So some questions for you as you just consider this. One, I think it's a good question to ask in a, in a letter like this, are you compromising your faith in order to profit economically, socially, culturally, religiously? Um, it, are, are there business deals that are unethical or that don't honor God, but you're kind of like, well, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. And so you turn an eye or you look the other way, or you're just okay with it. And you're like, ah, eh, God understands, right? I think this letter might be a wake up call for you to go, no, actually God cares significantly about that vulnerable person in that business deal. And so um, I think that's a significant question you should ask. Second, socially, um, what are I think it's a good time to examine what am I doing socially that is potentially compromising uh, my faithfulness to Jesus or the message of the gospel. Um, culturally, for sure. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that um, whether it's, uh, you know what, um, everybody else is doing this in our culture or, Um, everybody else is saying that this is okay. Or even religiously, like uh, the first thing that pops to my mind is, is a lot of the divisions that are happening over the issue of homosexuality right now within the church. You know, are we compromising as a church um, in order to conform not to faithfulness to Yahweh or Jesus, uh, faithfulness to Jesus, but to conform to the world? I think another question that's really important is, like I mentioned, do you look away when you see other people compromise? Is it something where you're like, ah, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Or that guy has more power than I do. I'm not going to speak up. Or, um, or you just kind of get folded in to uh, the, the actual compromise. Um, I think that should give you pause. And then lastly, I think, uh, I think it's just a good question for us to ask, Hey, what does it look like for us to, to lovingly engage those um, who believe that it's okay to live like the world, but then also to say that they follow Jesus? Um, these are all good questions for us to consider as we consider the letter that Jesus wrote uh, to the church at Thyatira. Hey, I hope you guys have a great day. Again, um, we're glad you jumped online with us. Um, yeah, share this around with your with your uh, summit small group for sure. You'll have a good discussion. If there's anything we can do to help, we'd love to. Let me pray for us real quick. <clears throat> well, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've gotten to spend uh, in the scriptures. In the second chapter of Revelation uh, to the letter at Thyatira. And I pray that we would walk out of here or walk away from our computers or in our our office, wherever we are, and that we would feel a sense of uh, appropriate conviction and burden to remain faithful to you in a world that is faithless. We need your help for that, Lord. And so we pray that you'd help us by your spirit. We pray these things to you, Father, In the name of your son, Jesus, the son of God, the one whose eyes are a blaze of fire and burnished bronze in the power of the Holy Spirit.